1: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
2: Reverence. He is, after all, God. And He's our Father. And He wants us to pray, because through His Son we're told, pray then this way. When you pray, pray then this way. And when is a different word than the word if. It's not if you pray, it's when you pray. It is assumed that you're going to talk to Him, because prayer, simply stated, is simply defined in the simplest terms that we can
1: Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are blessed and honored that you've chosen to spend time with us today, and we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's program, Pastor Keith continues our study from the Gospel of Matthew, entitled, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. So if you have your Bibles, please return with us to the Gospel of Matthew, Chapter 6. Now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
2: Father, we thank you for this day. This is a day that you've made, a day that we can indeed rejoice and be glad in as we meet as your church in this building. Father, we want to know more about prayer. We want to know you better. We want to know how to pray better, Lord. We want to know how to talk to you and even what to talk to you about. And so, Father, as we engage in this six-week study on prayer, this being week number two, order and order our thoughts and our hearts, Lord, order our lips and our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you're here for the first time today, uh, you've walked in in media race. In the midst of things, we're in a, the second week of a six-week series on prayer, uh, It's called Teach Us to Pray. Uh, We get the title from when the disciples said to Jesus and, and Luke, Lord, teach us to pray as John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. And so we're basing this series on six statements made in what some people mistakenly call the Lord's Prayer. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's actually the model prayer. That's the disciples' prayer. The Lord's Prayer is in John 17. That's his high priestly prayer. But we're looking at this model prayer that Jesus said, pray then this way. And so what we're doing here is taking six statements from that and organizing this series around those statements. And last week, the statement was, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we discussed the profundity of this statement because he's at once our Father. And as our Father, he's approachable. He loves us. We should love him. Uh, but he's unlike any father we've ever known or heard of or seen. He's our father in heaven. He's our God. He is the creator of the universe. Uh, He wants an intimate relationship with us and that's why we're allowed to call him father. Even in the uh, New Testament, you, uh, you read the words Abba, which is Aramaic for daddy. He's our Abba father. He's our big daddy. And yet... As we approach him as a a born-again Christian on an intimate basis, we are, because it says, hallowed be your name. That hallowed means honored, respected, esteemed, holy be your name. We understand that we we should accord him some respect, some uh, reverence. He is, after all, God. And he's our father. And he wants us to pray, because through his son we're told, Pray then this way. When you pray, pray then this way. And when is a different word than the word if. It's not if you pray, it's when you pray. It is assumed that you're going to talk to him because prayer, simply stated, is simply defined in the simplest terms that we can understand is talking to God. You know, sometimes we are, our minds are tied in knots and we're overwhelmed by situation and circumstance and maybe you, you write a letter to God on a sheet of paper to organize your thoughts, to clear your head. Maybe sometimes you take a passage and pray through it, but what we've determined here is, and what we've examined is, how do we do all this? How do we pray? Because there must be a right way and a wrong way, and we do have a duty and a privilege to pray, because he says, when you pray, pray then this way, and so we started talking last week about how to approach prayer, how to approach God, do we fold our hands? Do we close our eyes? Do we lay ourselves out on the ground? What do we do? Is there a place we should pray and a place we shouldn't pray? And, and we, we sort of work through all that. And one of my favorite examples was uh, Jonah, the most unhappy and successful evangelist of all times, praying from the belly of a fish with sea reed wrapped around his head on the surface. Then it goes down and it sounds into the depths and gets down to what it calls the roots of the mountains and things like that. And no doubt, well, that fish is swimming, much like a fighter plane. He's probably bouncing around all over the place in there. So we determined there's no perfect place, no perfect posture to pray. The Bible prescribes none. We also talked about, well, you know, is how do we jumpstart our prayer life? I mean, how do we get this thing started? And we looked at some acronyms that I had learned when I was with the Navigators years and years and years ago. And they were acronyms like ACTS, A-C-T-S. Adoration, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Adoration is adoring God, saying true things about God. Confession is admitting your sins and kind of getting getting the things straight between the two of you. Thanksgiving is expressing thanks for all the things that he's given you, all the things that you have. Supplication, in the least complicated terms possible, is asking God for stuff. Sometimes you ask on behalf of others, sometimes you ask on behalf of yourself. Cats, has nothing to do with whether you like dogs or not. Some people prefer to move the C to the beginning and begin by confessing, just kind of airing things out between you and God. There's pray. P is for uh, praise. R is for repentance. That's like confession. A is for asking. Y is for yield. Yield. Well, that's sometimes you ask God, right? When you ask God for something, there are three answers to prayer. Yes, no, and Wait. And so sometimes you say, okay, it's in your hands. I'll trust you. You yield. So we covered a quite a bit of ground, jumping off from our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Today, we begin round two, part two of Teach Us to Pray, and it is organized around the statement, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the second statement of the model of prayer. It's actually a petition. And its placement or its sequence in the prayer is intentional. And in God's economy, there are no accidents. There's no such thing as random chance. Everything happens for a reason. And you go from, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a sequence to everything. And there's a reason for that. And what we want to do today is to understand why that verse is there and what the implications of its location are. And so we want to look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13 to read through the so-called Lord's Prayer or the Our Father or the Model Prayer. And then we'll uh, zero in on this statement. So Jesus says in Matthew 6, 9, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us into temptation, deliver us from evil. You know, when you think about prayer and the mystery and the wonder of prayer, And you think about God's redemptive plan and the role that you play within that larger unfolding drama of redemption. God has raised each one of us up for such a time as this. He has placed us here on purpose. We each have our little piece of redemptive real estate, our little corner of the stage in that unfolding drama of redemption. And we don't know everything. We, somebody once said, are like secret agents operating on a need-to-know basis. Compartmentalization. There's somebody over in Ukraine. There's somebody over in Ulaanbaatar, outer Mongolia. And there's somebody here in San Jose. But we know this, that when you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's an indication that God's will should be a priority, that he knows best, that he's going to work out his plan the way it should be worked out, and that we should put that in the forefront of our minds. And so we... Fulfill the role that he has uh, uh, given to us, ordained for us here on earth in this moment in such a time as this in history. We don't know how it all plays out, but we know that we have a responsibility and we find that responsibility in terms of prayer here in this passage. Now, prayer is an amazing and mysterious thing. And speaking of operating on a need-to-know basis, we can't know everything there is to know about prayer exhaustively But we can understand prayer sufficiently to pray intelligently. Out of curiosity, I wanted to see how many books there are out on prayer right now. And and this is not an endorsement and I'm not critical either. But I went to the Amazon website. There are 100,000 books on prayer listed on their website in a variety of formats. Well, why all this interest in prayer? Because... God has put eternity in the human heart, and we want to connect with God at some level. Uh, And prayer is how we do that. Prayer, as we talked about, according to Charles Haddon Spurgeon, that great and famous preacher of the 19th century, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle omnipotence. Prayer seems to activate and unleash the power of God in our lives. We don't tell God what to do. He actually tells us what to do, Right? We're not sovereign, he is, and yet, he wants us to talk to him, he wants us to connect with him, and through our connection and through our prayers, he does great things. And yet, prayer is a mystery, because we're not sure how it all works. You read in, uh, in James that Elijah was a man like we are, he, he had a nature like ours, and God told him to rain, uh, told him to pray for rain, he prayed for rain, and it rained. He prayed for it to stop raining It stop raining and back and forth. And, and so I actually reversed that. But the point is, is that we don't understand how it works. But God's power and purposes are released through prayer. And so we look again at our passage in Matthew six ten. even in verse 9, it says, Pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. With a clear-cut statement like that, somehow, even today, people believe, or have come to believe, that prayer is all about them. It's all about getting what they want. It's all about getting from God something that we desire, when in fact, it's just the opposite. Prayer is all about God and doing his will, as we see here in this passage, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is the first priority in the model of prayer. But again, you know, human beings being what we are, you know, fallible, you know, sometimes misguided, we get it all messed up, which brings me to a book I found on Amazon. And I was reading the description of it and I was struck by the fact that all books on prayer are not created equal. And so I'll read you this ad, and you know, this is a book that is very popular in Christian circles, and many good people mistakenly bought this book. And it says this, do you ever sense that there's far more to prayer than you're experiencing? Are you praying over your impossible dreams and greatest fears? Do you feel like something is holding you back in your prayer life? And no, it doesn't say the Ronco Vegematic. That's not the next statement here. It says, it's time. It's time. You learned from the legend of Honi the circle maker. When his land was drought-stricken in ancient times, Honi Hamagael drew a circle in the sand, stepped inside of it, and wouldn't budge until God answered his petition for rain. So he exercised sovereignty over God. He basically stepped inside there like a four-year-old and said, I ain't going nowhere till I get what I want. Now, my daughters tried that at different points in their lives and it did not end well, at least for them. They didn't, the circle maker, we just call that disobedience and throwing a hissy fit, which is punishable by what they felt like was death, but we called it a spanking in those days. But You know, first of all, the legend of Honi, which means he probably didn't exist. Secondly, he lived in the intertestamental period, if he existed at all, in between the close of prophetic contact with God, you know, the end of the Old Testament, and before the beginning of the incarnation of Christ in the New Testament. So he probably wasn't a God follower either. So we don't want to really look to Honi, huh? And, you know what did he do? Ma- manipulate God? Did he outvote God? Did he overpower God? And let's compare his methodology to somebody else's. Matthew twenty six thirty nine, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it, it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That's a whole lot different prayer right there. That's Jesus Christ right before his crucifixion. Here is the Son of God, God the Son, the Savior of the world, praying right before suffering an unspeakable beating and torture and crucifixion. Nevertheless, not as I will, Father, but as you will. Compare Jesus to Honey. And let's say Honey was real, let's say he did what he did. What if God wanted to use a drought to bring people to faith and salvation and this guy interrupted that? You know? Yeah, beyond Jesus' prayers, look at the prayers in the Old Testament. Like Daniel, Nehemiah, Habakkuk. We talked about these last week, didn't we? And Habakkuk, I mean, look at his prayer. Look at what happened to him, right? He was distraught. He was brokenhearted over the corruption of the leaders of the Jewish people in his day. And in his distress, he cried out to God for justice. And God said, yes, right? Three answers to prayer, yes, no, and wait, right? God said, yes, I'm going to deal with your corrupt leaders and your corrupt nation. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans from the east I'm going to send them over to you, and they're going to crush your nation and carry them off into exile, unbeknownst to Habakkuk for about 70 years. And Habakkuk is like, whoa, 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 whoa. That is not what I had in mind. And he goes, how can you, the righteous God, do this and use this unrighteous people to punish your people and their unrighteousness? And he goes, and God said, you have this give and take back and forth, and those in the book of uh, Habakkuk, God says, well, I'm going to punish them for what they're going to do to my people, but I'm going to punish my people too. And finally, Habakkuk settles in the right place. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he says this in Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit tree, nor, nor the fruit be on vines, the produce of the olive oil fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. Not your will. Not my will, but your will. So who's it gonna be? Honey or Habakkuk? Honey or Jesus? Hone Or Daniel, Honi, or Nehemiah. And then there's the Apostle Paul. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. That was his affliction. He had the thorns in his flesh, the thorn in his flesh. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. What is Paul's response? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Today, we're going to begin a discussion about making God the priority in your prayer life about wanting what God wants. And that's why we read, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this mean and why is it after our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name? What, what is the location, the context, the sequencing here of the sentences imply? Well, I would submit to you that we can develop here three priorities or three keys or three actions that should govern our prayer lives so that we can harmonize our will with God's, our purposes with God's. I mean, after all, whose will must be preeminent in our prayers? Whose will should get first place? So today, I'd like you to consider three keys or three priorities of prayer prescribed by Jesus Christ himself in this model prayer so that you can put God first in your prayer life. And the first key, key number one, principle practice number one is this, and I already gave it away. Make God's will your priority. Make God's will your priority. Make God's will priority number one for you. Where do we see this? We see this in Matthew 6, 10, or 6, 9, b through six uh, thirteen, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, holy be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then we read, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Notice the timing and the wording, the sequencing here. You can't help but notice the personal pronouns as they occur. Your, is in terms of his, comes before us or ours. Your will is priority and not by accident. Your, God's personal pronoun here, The pronoun for God, in this sense, comes first. And ours, us, our, comes second through sixth in the passage. Now, I understand that we are living in in an imperfect world. We are imperfect, fallen, broken people. Uh, We forfeited that perfection when our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned against God. And we have since replicated their mistakes and their choices And so we tend to, as human beings, take good things and use them improperly. Everything from natural resources to painkillers. These things end up perverted and misused by people. And sometimes the same is true of prayer. Whether it's a well-intended misinformed person being convinced they should buy this book about Hani the Circle Maker. Or just us wanting what we want even if we shouldn't want it, and asking for it. And that's why I say that there are three answers to prayer. You see that in the Bible. There are three answers to any question that somebody asks. Yes, no, and wait. Sometimes we ask something for God and he says yes. Other times we ask for something that we shouldn't have and he says No.